privilege we have for all the natural blessings that life here, virtual side of us, Jesus Christ. And we pray for all those in the world who are seeking, wherever they may be, if there's any. I know that there is all sorts of troubles in this world, even around us. Many people who are dissatisfied and they may not even know what they need in life. Uh, we know that as our God better than we know ourselves. Even those of us who believe, we don't always even know we should pray for let alone what we should do, but trust that thou knowest all things, and through thy word and thy Holy Spirit within us, that, that you will lead us day by day. Now let us pray that prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Anyone have a song they'd like to continue with?
to see everybody out this morning. <clears throat> that song we just sang, I guess, to the world, it looks like a, a strange thing when people gather week after week to hear, hear about Jesus. Tell me the story of Jesus, the song, the very centerpiece of our faith. Of course, the world doesn't understand that. I'm going to read a portion of God's Word. It doesn't directly speak of Jesus, but this whole, this whole scriptures are, are about him. I'm going to read about how Moses comes across this burning bush. Third chapter of Exodus, and I'll read the first six verses. Reading these words in Jesus' name. Now Moses kept a flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Greetings of grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be multiplied unto each one gathered here this morning and even forever. Amen. We know the scripture speaks of, of faith so much, and we sing about the faith of our fathers. And the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it says, it says that, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders re obtained a good report. We can look at that and say that we would want to leave this world with a good report. And it says, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. And we're, we're reading about Moses and how he, and, and I'll, I'm going to speak some on how, how he came to be and how the whole situation came to be of, of his his uh, his whole life. But here it says, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Remember the king's commandment that these children, these male children should be killed. And we'll get into that later. The king was not a God-fearing man. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And it goes on, different things there. The, uh, I guess if it we could say in our, in our modern language how we look into a window. And the window we look into here is, is how it is that Moses came into this world. The children of Egypt, or the children of Israel had suffered a famine in the land of Canaan, I believe it was. And through the story of of uh, Jacob and his sons and, and uh, the youngest son Joseph, Joseph is sent down into Egypt in a in a rude and cruel way. But as years go by, I think it's seventeen or twenty years go by, the land where Jacob is is dwelling is is in a severe drought. Jacob sends some of his sons down into Egypt to buy corn so that they could, the family could survive. And some unbelievable, unbelievable miracles. Their brothers, the brothers come across their youngest brother not knowing who he is. And he's high up in the, in the government in Egypt. And he's in charge of all the, all the stores, all the, all the goods of Egypt that are kept. And of course, he was in charge of of all the all the grain and and all these things that that would be sold by the government. Anyways, a long story short, the the uh, 
Jacob and his family moved down into Egypt. Some 60, 66 souls, it says. And then Joseph had married and had a couple of sons, so that made 70 of the children of Israel that ended up living in Egypt. 420 or some years later, the Egyptians hadn't conquered these people. In, in countless cases throughout the ages, one people conquers another and they take over these people and they make slaves out of them. I'm not saying it's happened every time, but it's happened countless times through the ages. These Egyptian people weren't taken over as slaves immediately, but they were made slaves eventually. In Joseph's time, the Pharaoh in Egypt had much respect for Joseph because through his, through his uh, prudent dealings and, and good judgment and, and all that, the, king, the, the Pharaoh in Egypt saw that he was a wise man. And it's interesting how, how this unbelieving man sees a believing man and the country is prospering through this believing man but it doesn't sound like Pharaoh comes into faith, but he does show a lot of respect for Joseph and, and puts him in charge of, of all the stores of Egypt. As I said, 400 and some years later, the children of Israel went from, from that, from coming down into Egypt and, and their lives being saved from starvation to now in, in this time that we speak of in Moses' time, they were so great in numbers that the Egyptians said that there's there's more of them than there are of us. And the Egyptians had had used these people, as I say, they didn't conquer them as a nation. But they they were welcome into the country when they came. But the Egyptians and, and we see that in many societies that these people that I think it happened in the Roman society and, and I think we're seeing it in, in our modern societies. People are getting softer and softer and wealthier and wealthier and living in deeper and deeper in sin. And, and we become a kind of a useless bunch. But these Egyptians were driven by the, or, or pardon me, the Israelites were driven by the Egyptians by this time into slave labor. And it says that, that they, it says, therefore, did they set over them taskmasters task to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, speaking of the Egyptians afflicting the Israelites, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. The Egyptians got to be weaker and weaker as a people and as a nation, and the Israelites got to be stronger and stronger. And the king, this it says, this king came along who knew not Joseph. Of course he wouldn't, 400 years later. But I don't think it only means that. It didn't mean that he didn't know him personally, but it means he didn't have that heart towards the Christian people that the Pharaoh did in Joseph's time. The children of Israel get, are getting to be a strong nation within a nation, within the nation of Egypt. And the king fears this. And so he orders, and I mentioned it earlier, how, how these boy ch children, male children, were supposed to be killed. He, he sets out a decree. He says, And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shiprah, and the other was and he said, When ye do office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, this is, this is when, when they're going to have a child, it says, If it's going to be a son, then ye shall kill him. It's, it's hard to believe. This, this, this man is talking out of both sides of his mouth because on one hand he's, he's of, of the taskmasters that are driving these people to be our slaves, as it were. And then he says, there's getting to be too many of them. Kill all the male children. We, we speak of that at, at Christmas time, how, how King Herod had ordered all those male children to be killed throughout the land. So this is, this is another time it happened. 
But the midwives had a heart towards these babies, and they, they give the king a sort of an excuse. It says, if it be a son, thou shalt kill him, but if it be a daughter, then she shall live. So it was the men he was afraid of. He thought these these girl children can, can be raised up and be in our, our society, but it's the men they fear. But the, widmi- the midwives feared God and did, and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and have saved the men children alive? But the midwives said unto Pharaoh, and I, I'm not sure if this is exactly the way it was, but this is what the, the answer they gave. I'm sure it was in cases, but this is the answer they gave why they didn't kill these these men child children because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them therefore God dwelt well with the midwives they did the right thing they, they were Egyptians and it doesn't say they were children of God but it says they feared God maybe some of them were children of God we don't know therefore God dwelt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty so then, then Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. He didn't, he didn't back up on his, his uh, command and this thing that he set forth. And then we see how, I guess we think of some of these things as, uh, as stories for the Sunday school children, but there, there's, there's lots in here and there's lots of power here. And I'm going to do a fair bit of reading here, but there went a man of the house of Levi and took to, took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and laid it in the flags by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done. Moses is this newborn little boy. He has an older sister. His mother leaves him in the bulrushes in the river. It would be the Nile River there. And his sister stands back or stays back to see what, what happens. She didn't want to leave this little boy so he'd float out into the current of the river or anything. So, so she stood back to see what would happen. And... We see the hand of God because in this world people think so many things happen out of happenstance and they think because a cow can mother her calf and she dotes on it and every every animal they dote on their young and even better than some, some people do and they say this is all happenstance great big explosion took place that we can't even imagine and and the world blew up and the moon came off it and all these things and it's all happenstance. So they're going to say it's happenstance that Pharaoh's daughter came down to the river to bathe herself and, and she had a bunch of her maidens with her. It says the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. This isn't happenstance. This young girl, Moses' older sisters, is back a ways and watching what's happening. I'm sure she loved this little boy even as much as her mother did. She came, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. This is the man that declared that these children should die, this Pharaoh. His daughter, obviously, you might say, was, was at odds with him on these kind of things. Her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, flags she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it and saw the child, behold, the child, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. This, this is not a newborn baby. He's three months old. And he's in this little ark. I think, it's, I think it's interesting they call it an ark in places. We know that, the, that Noah built an ark and saved his family and says they were saved by water. You might say it's the water of life that saves us. This Pharaoh's daughter recognizes this child.
child is one of the Hebrews' children. And then the sister comes, comes up and says to Pharaoh's daughter, <coughs> excuse me, shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go, and the, and the maid went and called the child's mother. So here little Moses, little baby boy, he's raised by his mother, but in, in some strange circumstances. He's raised in the, in the king's palace. Instead of possibly the mean conditions that, that he might have been raised in amongst his own people. But as we read in, in the chapter 11, it says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. People that were involved and didn't know the details, like, like the sister and the mother, they knew all the details. Pharaoh's daughter didn't even know the details. Where this child came from. These things aren't happenstance. God had all this planned. And we, we can read that and we can see the plan just just laid out in perfection. When we, when we talk about faith, as I started off, we might think that if a person has, has this faith it's speaking about, that the life's going to go real good for you. Well, it, it does go good. But it doesn't mean that we, are, we go through this life without our trials and temptations. And we see that in, in the life of Moses. So Pharaoh's daughter takes this little boy and by all that it looks like, she raises this as her, as her child and yet she has this, this Hebrew woman raising the child, which, which kings and we know that, we know that in, like in the royal family in England, those children probably hardly ever see their parents. You might see them in the, in the paper or on the news all the time with their parents, but, but their lives are spent most of the time with, with their nannies and these people that are raising them. And this is how it was. Her mother, no, uh, Moses' mother, raised this little boy, but it looks like he's a daughter of, or a son of Pharaoh's daughter. So Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, to, to actually Moses' mother, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. He became, he became the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But it says that when he grew up and became of, of years, meaning when he was grown up, he, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses had a, had a deeper understanding of who he was. He had no idea, I'm sure, of what, what lay before him in his life. It says she called his name Moses. Pharaoh's daughter names him. She called his name Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren. It doesn't say anything about his, his childhood. And, and we can only cons uh, uh, assume, I guess you'd say, that Moses was brought up in the ways of the Egyptians, in lots of ways. He would have known the ways of the, the king and the, the royalty and the, the pomp and the splendor of the land. But he also knew the ways of his own people through his mother teaching him. Quite, quite a childhood he would have had, I'm sure. So here we see him, he's grown up. He doesn't say much about his, his growing up, but it says, when Moses was grown, he went out in, unto his brethren and looked upon their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. This builds up some kind of animosities in us, these kind of things. He knew he wasn't an Egyptian. He knew the children of Israel were... He, he wouldn't have been a slave like, like all, these, all these other people would have been. But he knew those were his people. And he knew there was, there was a problem. And obviously, these people had cried unto God, how long does this slavery and this life we're living have to go on? Moses would have grown up knowing all these things. 
So he sees an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew. I'm sure it happened maybe millions of times in those 400 years. But God has his own time for things, and he does things in his time. And it was time that something was done about this slavery issue. And, and the whole picture of the children of Israel going down into Egypt and then coming out of that slavery and bondage is a parallel to a person, we might say, who has been in faith and has backslidden, or maybe they left the faith completely, we don't know, and then they come back into faith. But they're, they're, they're in a place where they're crying out to God. Maybe things were pretty good, pretty good in Egypt, even though they were slaves. They maybe ate pretty good and, and lived pretty good as long as they kept under that yoke of slavery. We know that, like in the southern U.S., and, and that's the result of all that was a civil war. Some, many of those people were treated well. Many weren't. Many of these people that were slaves. But when they were freed, whether they were treated well or not, they come into this this new realm they're living in, and a lot of them didn't know, have any idea what to do. And many went back to their old masters. They weren't in slavery anymore. The laws were on their side. But especially the ones that were treated well, they went back to their masters. That was stability, and that was what life was all about for them. Anyways, I'm rattling on here, but Moses sees this problem between a Hebrew and an Egyptian, and the Egyptian is smiting the Hebrew or beating him up. One of his brethren, one of Moses' people, he looks around both ways. He says he looked this way and that. When he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He buried him. He, he got rid of him and buried him. This is the end. Of, this, this man is not going to hurt my people anymore. Moses had an understanding at an early age that he was supposed to lead these children of Israel out of bondage. I'm not sure how and when this came to him, but it seems like he would have known it by then. And he's going to do something about it. He's a child of God. We wonder how could he murder this Egyptian if he's a child of God. I think that's, in a way, what, what this story is about. The change that has to take place in his heart and his life. He goes out again the next day and he sees two Hebrews in some kind of a spat and an argument and a fight. He says they strove together and he, he said to him that did the wrong, so one of them must have been in the right and one in the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made this? And, and then the, the Hebrew, one of the Hebrews says, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killed the Egyptian? So Moses had looked around to make sure nobody was looking when he killed this Egyptian. But apparently somebody saw it. And he says, are you going to do the same thing to us? Moses had this idea that he's, he's got to do something about this problem. So what happens to him? This, this isn't happenstance either. He runs away. It was, it was obvious that he had been seen and caught doing this killing that Egyptian and he runs away and it says Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well he ran from his if he did have that understanding that he was he was supposed to lead these people he ran from that sort of like Jonah ran from his task and job he fled from the face of Pharaoh, dwelt in the land of Midian. He, he would have been in favor with Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Pharaoh's daughter raised him and, and he spent time in, in Pharaoh's mansions and in his life, I'm sure. But he fled from Pharaoh, dwelt in the land of Midian. It says, The priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water the father's flock. These seven, seven daughters were looking after their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. So these young ladies were watering their father's flock, and there were some other people came along, and they, they wanted the well and the water. So they, they came to drive these 
young ladies away, but it says Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So he, he was there and he, and he says, no, no, these, these girls were here first and he helped them water their flock. So they got it done early and, and then they went back to their father. And he was surprised that they had got, got their work done so soon. Shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to Ruel, their father, he said, How is it the year comes so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew enough water enough for us and watered the flock. And so this man says to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. So Moses finds favor in the eyes of this this, well, they call him Reuel here, but then later on, later on they call him Jethro, and it's, it's, it's the same man. This man says, call him. In other words, he, he must be a good man. Where, where is he? So they did call him, and it says, Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter. Moses and Mary is one of these seven daughters. So then it says, well, it says she bare him a son, and, and they called him Gershom. And it says, it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by the reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. What was the covenant? Uh, the covenant, I guess, originally with, with Abraham was that I will be your God and you will be my people. The covenant I think it speaks of here is that God will not leave them or forsake them. That God will direct them and, and keep them under, under his, you might say, the shadow of his wing. Moses has a lot to learn. Moses then spends... It's almost hard to believe, and, and this isn't happenstance either. Moses spends 40 years. He was 40 years old when he slew the Egyptian. And he spends the next 40 years, so he's 80 then, herding sheep for his father-in-law. We might think that, you know, that people that lead important lives and, and do important things these days, they, they, they get a good education. And they have all kinds of university degrees and, and all kinds of things. Moses was like, and I, I don't mean to make a joke of it, but sometimes we say, I got my education out behind the barn. And that's what Moses did. He got his education herding sheep. Not a, not a very glamorous university education did he get. So 40 years later, he's still keeping sheep for Jethro, his father-in-law, priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And I think there would be some, some significance there that he, he traveled towards this mountain of God. Angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. This is, these are the few words that I read in the beginning. Moses is, is keeping sheep out in the desert. And God is, we might say, serving him in education. He sees a burning bush, and I don't know, I guess I think in my mind maybe it's a quarter mile off or some little, little bit of a walk over there. He notices this. It's something strange. It's something that he doesn't understand. God has his time to do these things, as I said before. He does things in the right time. This, this isn't happenstance either, that, that he's herding these sheep and, and some distance off he sees this burning bush. It says he turns aside. He goes out of his way to see this. It wasn't something that, you know, you might see a, a distance off and, and just say, well, it can't be too much. I've got to keep, keep watching these sheep and going my way. He says he turned aside to see this. I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burnt? We know that God set this thing in order and in motion. 
and in that way that that it would draw Moses' attention. And Moses, I don't think he has any, it doesn't seem like he has any idea that his life is about to change. And, and I'm going to say that he, he has not only a change of heart, but probably a repentance here, which is necessary for, for us to come through these things and, and learn of God. First of all, it looks like he just sees this thing that's, that's well, we don't see it every day, do we? It's the first time he'd ever seen anything like it. And I've never seen anything like it. Behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. God, God got his attention with that. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. He wasn't just there physically. I didn't, I didn't just end up at this bush physically, but I'm here to learn. If you have something to teach me, I have ears to hear now, whereas he didn't before. When he, when he ran from Pharaoh and, and ended up leaving and all those years, he probably wondered, how, how is this ever going to carry out that I'm supposed to be doing this insurmountable task? to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. God gets his, gets his attention with the burning bush. He says, here I am. We read about Isaiah's conversion, and he says, here I am. We read about Saul's conversion, who became Paul. And God calls to Ananias, and Ananias says, here I am. I'm here at your service, not because I have so much understanding, not because I have a unbelievable education in this field or anything. I'm a child of God. If you can use me, here I am. I think those three little words show show us that he had a change of heart. He wasn't running at that point. He had turned to God. And it says in Revelations, and I read it, I'm sure I wear it out, but it's it's so good how how Jesus calls third chapter of Revelations I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see as many as I love I I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and he will sup with me and he, I will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, we all have ears. Maybe there, there's been some that have lost them one way or another. It's talking about that ear where we can hear God speaking, not our, not just this physical thing on the side of our head. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. So when Moses and, and Isaiah and Ananias and probably others, they hear the, the call of God and they say, here I am. They're hearing the call and they're saying, I'm available. We might we might sometimes think that they're they're proud when they say that, or or think that they're qualified. No, we're not. None of us are qualified. But one of the one of the greatest miracles in the scriptures, I believe, is is that that he calls unqualified people. As far as this world is concerned, we're unqualified. If we have tasted of the good gift of salvation and we've been partakers of it, then we're qualified. We don't have to have a bunch of papers to show somebody or this huge, big education behind us. We know that we know that Apostle Paul had a good education. We know that Luther had a good education. They weren't qualified to do their day-to-day -day job because of that. They were qualified because they have partaken in the gift of salvation. 
When Moses says, here I am, he's instructed, and, and we might wonder at the instruction, take your shoes off. God calls out of the burning bush and says, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. From here on, God is saying, I will instruct you. I will lead you. I will tell you what to do, all the details. Remember Moses, well, it's in the fourth chapter. Moses says unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither therefore, neither, neither heretofore, nor since thou has spoken unto the servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. He was protesting because he didn't think that he, he had the qualifications to do this job he was asked to do. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O oh, my Lord, send, I pray me, I pray thee by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Anyways, he, he, yeah, he, God finally gives in to him a little bit and says, well, your brother Aaron is, is uh, a good speaker. Work with him. And, that, and that's what happened. They worked together for many, many years. I believe there's a conversion takes place here. I don't, I don't say, and I, I'm not here to say that Moses was not a believing man at that time. But I will say this much, and it's, it's plain that, that he was going his own way. And we can do that. And that does not take faith away. And I'm not giving anyone the, the license to, to go into a life of sin or, or into any particular sin because of this. But God is merciful. God was that merciful that he sent Moses into the wilderness for 40 years herding sheep to teach him a few things. And, and I believe there was a change of heart here <coughs> on Moses' part when he comes face to face with God and, and God asks him, remove your feet, your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. I'm going to give you a heart and a mind and a life now that will be a glory to my name. I don't, I don't say he was doing such a bad thing herding those sheep because it's something that God had to put him through. But he had a more important task to, to begin with now, leading those people of, out, of, out of Israel. And I guess we could speak for a whole month on, on that. Oh, all the things that took place when they, when they left Israel and all those plagues that took place. And Moses crying to God that this isn't working and that isn't working and, and what should I do next? God is patient with him and just tells him what to do next. All those plagues that took place. Put off thy shoes from thy feet for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Stand on this holy ground. Stand and begin walking this new life. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. We know that God spoke to Moses many, many times through the years. So it's, it's sort of like, I'll just go into this a little bit. How? Well, it says, of, it says of Moses and Abraham both that they saw Jesus. And we see in the third chapter of Acts, I believe it is, it talks a little bit about about Moses here in, in Egypt and says and Moses this Moses whom they refused saying who made thee we read this a ruler and a judge the same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush he brought them out after that he had shewed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up Unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him ye shall ye hear. He told the people that. He was talking about Jesus. And we see that Jesus talks about Abraham knowing him. And these people sort of made fun of that and said, Well, you're not yet 40 years old, and you're saying that 
that Moses knew you or you knew him and, and these things? And, and Jesus answered and said, Before Moses was, I am. He, he, didn't, he didn't have to be here physically for Abraham to know him. It says Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are, are in Egypt and heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrow, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of, the, out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, and thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? All that has happened. We, we, we could put ourselves in that and say, With all that has happened, I, I left Pharaoh's house. Moses could have been, he could have been another Pharaoh probably. He could have enjoyed, as it says, the pleasures of Egypt his whole life. He forsook that. It says he took on the reproach of Christ. What is that? That's to suffer with the children of Israel, suffer with his own people, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That was quite, quite a thing that he did. He did that by faith, it says. In that faith chapter, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. God is pleased when men have faith, people have faith. We're going to reach heaven's shore by faith. And when we stand before Jesus, as all people will, we're going to be accepted by because we are wearing that robe of righteousness. In Revelations, when it when it talks of that innumerable pe number of people that no man could number, and the question is, that who are these people? And the answer is that these are the. They had two qualifications that I would say gave them entrance into heaven. They have come through great tribulation. Many people have tribulation, but do they come through it? We come through it when we conquer, through believing that Jesus has conquered and won the battle and been victorious over wrongdoing. We believe in the work that he accomplished. These people came through great tribulation and they have washed their robes. That's the, other, the second thing that they have done and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They were wearing that robe of righteousness. They were clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They believed the gospel message. Jesus came to this earth and lived and died and rose victorious over all wrongdoing for me. Me personally, they were able to believe that. Last few words of this that I'm talk, talking here. It says, Moses says, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh? And that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And then he says, then, then he sort of gets convinced that, okay, I'll take on the job, but who can I say gives me this authority? He wants to know, what can I tell Pharaoh? Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, Pardon me, I said Pharaoh. He's, he's, he's uh, talking about the children of Israel. Who can I tell them gives me this authority? as though he was lifting himself up to lead these people. Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say unto you, What is his name, and what shall I say unto them? He wants an answer. God said unto Moses, I am that I am. He has no peers. The living God sent me. These are things people won't understand. The children of God will understand. Because God raises them up. God raises up good leaders. God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. He had to convince his own people that God has raised me up. God has put me through some hard lessons. He's, he's put me through this, this lesson, lesson of repentance and the remission of sins. 
He's forgiven my sins. He's forgiven me that, that 40 years that I was doing things on my own. And he's given me this task to lead. And we know that there were so many that didn't care for his leadership. They were out in the desert and complained about him <coughs> taking them out there and they're going to die out there of thirst and hunger. And the food is no good and all these things. God gave him that job and he accomplished that job. And as I said in the beginning, that we might think if we have this faith, the things are going to go smoothly for us. It didn't even go smooth for him in death. It says that Moses was on Mount Pisgah and he looked out over this land that, that they were going to enter into and take over. He wasn't able to go there himself, but he saw it by faith, the promised land. And it's a picture of heaven. It says that at 120 years of age, he was still physically like a young man. His, his eyes were good and everything was good physically and he, he moved about like a young man. But God took him in his time. And it says he's buried on that vicinity of that Mount Pisgah and no man will ever know where God, where God buried him. But he saw there again by faith heaven's shore. And that's a picture of us. We're not going to physically go into heaven. We'll go there and we'll become, it says that, that we will be changed. The, the corruptible you see standing in front of you and I see looking over this crowd, the corruptible will put on incorruption and we're mortal and we'll put on, put on immortality. And I can't comprehend what that's all about, really. How can I become incorruptible? How can I become immortal? By faith we believe that God will do this and we'll reach heaven's shore and have a successful journey in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Shall we close with the benediction? May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up his countenance unto us and give us everlasting peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.